Hey everybody, this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast series. This is another on-the-road edition, and today we're at Dream House Academy in Eva Beach in West Oahu in Hawaii. And I'm here with its founder, Alex Teis. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So Alex, when did you know that you wanted to start <laughs> a school? I was walking to the bus stop when I was in the first grade. No. <laughs> I I had an idea in November 2012, and I asked a very simple question to a group of educators. What if we started a school? Okay. And I just asked the question and looked around the room and noticed a couple people nodding and kind of giving you that eye that says, yeah, let's, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And that really was the first time that the idea of starting a public charter school in Hawaii ever crossed my mind. What were the circumstances of your life at that particular moment? Like, what were you doing? I had completed the Teach for America Hawaii program from 2008 to 10. Okay. I lost my job due to the furlough Friday debacle that was mm-hmm. underway. Our, our audio listeners won't know what that is, but there was a moment back in, what year was that? 2010. 2010, when we actually shortened the school week because of budgetary constraints. Um, but that's not what this is about. So we'll just note that, that was, that's what was happening at the right. moment. Right? A flashback to being yeah. 24 years old, making $30,000 a year, and having zero job security. I said, yeah. off to grad school. Okay. Uh, and I went and got my MBA and came back to Hawaii to work for Teach for America Hawaii on the nonprofit side of the organization, doing fundraising, development, external affairs. And it was in November in 2012 when a group of educators got together and we had this think tank type conversation about what type of innovations needed to happen across the educational ecosystem in Hawaii to create change and to spur innovation. And not that creating a public charter school was the most out of the box idea, but we, the educators that were in that room, had not created something like that before. Right. And it was it was there the idea I guess was born. So just a side tangent for our listeners, um, I'm pretty obsessed with a podcast series called How I Built This with Guy Raz, and he does one interview with Wendy Kopp mm. of Teach for America, mm. which is pretty phenomenal. Uh, the right. way that she stood it up and the way that she moved it forward um, is super interesting. So okay, so you have this moment, and the idea, the seed is planted, the idea is born that. Um, starting a school is something that you'd like to work on. So what happens after that? Well, from there, it became a back burner idea, one of those nights and weekends. Every couple of months, you get together and, and move the ball forward. And it was in 2013 and 14, about a year, year and a half later, that a group of folks who had been at that initial think tank type mm-hmm. meeting said, let's let's explore this. Let's go past just the Google search of how do I start a charter school to looking at what it would take to found a nonprofit and visiting some charter schools that are here in Hawaii and visiting some charter schools in the mainland Mm -hmm. and thinking about whether or not this is, uh, you know, a viable pathway for each of us, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's something that speaks to not only our profession as educators or former educators, um, but also our our personalities, our passions, to see whether or not this is something that we would really want to commit to. 
At that point, had you been or were you thinking about the original charter law here that was written, I think, in 1994, and that how the work that you might start doing as you moved forward would fulfill the spirit of that law? Well, what was interesting is that in 2012 and 13, that was when Act 130 was coming into play. And which is? Which is focused on rewriting those original charter laws and creating a commission that would oversee all charters in the state, offer all charters contracts, and hold the charters that existed to a different set of, of performance and accountability metrics. So right. while we looked at what had gone on with the initial charter school administrative office, it seemed that this moment in time was one of change mm -hmm. and of opportunity for a new charter school to come alongside of the brand new commission, the brand new commission staff, the new laws that were being written and put into effect and to create a school that was really born out of that reimagined vision that the legislature and, and educators mm -hmm. here came up with. So in 94, the original charter school law chartered 25 conversion schools, and the intent behind that was that each of these schools would offer models of innovation that would hopefully be picked up by the public schools and implemented. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to the act, um, and that there's been a sort of long and sometimes contentious history with charter schools in Hawaii. But at that moment, you felt like the, the context was changing, the environment was changing, where it would be conducive to you moving forward with this idea of starting a school? Right. It seemed like a new chapter for mm -hmm. charter schools in Hawaii. And, and not to say that it was one that was being written uh, in favor of all charters. And I don't know that all charter school leaders and founding governing boards and founders of past charter schools were completely on board and supportive of this new chapter, uh, as you know, history would tell. But for us, as we were entering into the charter space for the very first time, it seemed like it was new in right. a way, and the landscape was new, and the landscape was changing, and an opportunity for us to come in and be part of that change and a part of that new reimagined vision seemed like it was the right time in 2012 and 13. So I, I had the opportunity to be part of a, a team that wrote a charter for a charter school here in Hawaii. It's called SEEKS, or the School for Examining Essential Questions of Sustainability. And I know what, it, I know what the process is for pulling a team together to mm -hmm. put a charter together. So how did you go about pulling that team together, and what were your initial steps in, in getting going? Good question. It definitely takes a lot of people and a lot of different minds and, and time and resources from a lot of different angles to put together even the founding elements of a charter. And for me, it was looking first and foremost to the closest educational networking group that I had. And often those folks were Teach for America, Hawaii alumni, or folks that I had taught at right. Lima with or gone to University of Hawaii with or just had been part of different nonprofits and boards and young professionals groups that are focused on public education mm -hmm. and nonprofits that support leadership development and, and you know, kids in, in disadvantaged circumstances and coming from disadvantaged backgrounds. So it was there that I started and said, you know, let's sit down and have a conversation about if we were to build a school, what would it be like and how would we do it? And what that ended up evolving into was a series of community listening tours 
where we would sit down on a Saturday morning at Starbucks or go to neighborhood board meetings or even over at Eva Mackay, uh, the former principal Ed Oshiro used to let us come in on Saturdays and gather our former students, their parents, elected representatives and sit down mm -hmm. and just dialogue around what a public charter school could and should be. And those are really the founding conversations and the broad strokes that, that gave us our operating principles around leadership and identity development, around empowerment, around homegrown leadership. I mean, all of these elements of our school now that live within our classroom spaces and our curriculums can be tied back to conversations in 2013, 14, 15 with this founding group of individuals, which was a complete cross-section of people who were not only close to me in my educational career, uh, but also, if, like I said, former students and parents and people who wanted to be part of something new. And that was really the start of, I'd say, the founding group of individuals who came together to create this idea for Dreamhouse Eva Beach. So I'm struck by the idea that, you know, when you think about design thinking, um, that putting together a diverse team is almost the first order of design thinking. If you're going to be working on something together and you're going to go through the design thinking process and develop the designer's mindset, the diversity of the people who are on that team who start into the empathy phase of gathering data and then continue along is super crucial. And it sounds like you guys were, were you as the founder and as the person who's moving this forward, was you were deliberately looking to diversify that team. I'd say that's a very accurate assessment of how we came to be. There were people who were born in Hawaii, people who weren't born in Hawaii, people who were native Hawaiian, people who were in classrooms of public schools, people who graduated from private schools, people who are doctors, people who had dropped out of high school. I mean, there were so many different perspectives of what education should be and what mm -hmm. school could be, and that was really the beauty of this charter school it wasn't let's go look at a model that works and try to recreate it here in Hawaii mm -hmm. it was what what should we be doing and let's backwards map and create that mm -hmm. um, and I think that's one of the reasons it took so long but that's also one of the reasons why it started in such this blue sky mm -hmm. visionary place is that we were not scared about dreaming and, and having audacious visions and aspirations around how we should build this school and what it should be about. So you, you gave me the, the high honor and distinct privilege <laughs> of, of reading your first charter application. Yes. And Alex, I, I just I can't tell you how, um, how impressed I was about the fusion of, the, of these two ideas of leadership and identity. So talk a little bit more about where that comes from and how that, that North Star, if you will, has guided you all the way through the process. Sure. A, lo a, lot, of, a lot of what we talk around, uh, about around leadership and identity development is an intersection and the intersectionality of how we <clears throat> see ourselves in any given space on any given day. And our identity, who we see ourselves as, how we connect with our own values, our own sense of belonging, our own purpose, is really foundational and fundamental to the people that we are and the face that we show every day. Mm -hmm. Now, if identity is who we are, it also has to connect to who we were or where we came from. And that is where our stories and our lineage, if you will, uh, really defines who we are today. And in Hawaii specifically, when you talk about your 
Mauku Ao Hao, your your connection to your kupuna or your ancestors, there's such a strong sense of children understanding where they came from. And, And that was so powerful to me over the many years that I taught and lived in Hawaii. Right. Um, Because I'm not from Hawaii originally. I came to Hawaii 11 years ago. But being here and immersed in kids knowing what the breakdown of their ethnicity was, their stories of their grandparents, 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 and where they came from and why they do this tradition on Saturdays, it was so fascinating to me. And that seemed like something that needed to be honored in the public school system Mm -hmm. where I come from in Massachusetts. A lot of that is checked at the door. Kids come in and sit down in rows of seats. We open workbooks and take tests. Your identity, who you see yourself as, Immaterial. your stories, it's, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with the day-to-day, and we just wanted to go in a complete opposite direction of that and really honor what our kids come with. So that being one component, and the leadership component is really around empowerment and having our kids realize that they are the authors of their own stories. Mm-hmm. So take this identity component, this leadership component, and someone once mentioned to me, our kids can't know where they're going until they know where they're from. Mm -hmm. And then someone else said, well, you first have to build the foundation, and then you can build the house. So there's all these uh, different messages and stories that were, were, were coming to us, and we kept on saying, gosh, that just seems to be reinforcing this idea right. that this intersection of identity and leadership is such a powerful place, not just for our kids, but for adults as well. So why not, why not focus on that intersection as the core element of DreamHouse and have our curriculum, our culture, our PD, our hiring, everything flow through these ideas of understanding who you are, what your values are, and then also being on a pathway and a journey to growing into a future homegrown leader for our islands. So you also have a a graduate degree, correct? Yes. Um, Your graduate degree is from Harvard? One of them is. One of them is. What are are your graduate degrees? So my graduate degrees, my first one was from the University of Hawaii at Manoa in teaching. And my second one was an MBA in finance and corporate accounting from the University of Rochester. The third was Harvard Graduate School of Education, where I was in the school leadership program. And I am a full-time doctoral student back at University of Hawaii for educational leadership. So clearly you have a sense (laughs) of, of the educational landscape across the United States and maybe even a growing sense of what's happening around the world. So going back to your previous response about identity and leadership, it feels to me like Dreamhouse as a concept with the fusion of identity and, and leadership is something that could work in California or in Mississippi or in North Dakota or Rhode Island or Florida, that there's a, there's a universal idea at play here. Is that a fair statement? I think so. And one of the most important school visits I did was to a school called NACA, Native American Community Academy in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. And I, there were a few folks that I knew there, and I was on my way back to Massachusetts for the summer, and I said, can I just pop in for a couple days, and I, I won't make any noise. I just want to walk around and see some classrooms and be, you know, be part of be part of the school. And I remember when I went there, all of what I was seeing on the walls, the language, the way the classroom space was set up, the, the coaching and development that was happening within different learning spaces, it just 
struck me that that wasn't specific to this specific area of Albuquerque or to this native tribe. This right. was a group of individuals and a culture that was invested in and committed to the identities of their kids. Right. And I said, gosh, if this is happening in Albuquerque, it's happening yeah. in other indigenous spaces in the United States or you know, on the continent of America. Right. And I was blessed to be able to go internationally and visit a few schools, and specifically in Aotearoa, mm-hmm. when I went with the WinHEC crew uh, to go to a conference. We went to a school where their entire doctoral programs were focused on identity development and right. indigeneity and how to make things more Maori in the global, fast-paced, changing world. So I'm sitting here connecting the dots and saying, this is not just about Dreamhouse or Hawaii. This is about people's need to connect with one another, to see themselves in curriculum, to walk into any room or any conversation and feel like they are seen as humans, as people, as, as individuals. And also, because of our passion around empowering our kids, it has to be around each child having the ability to write their own story. So again, going back to this intersection, I don't think it is specific to Hawaii. I think it's very special to Hawaii, and it's so prevalent in Hawaii, people knowing their stories and the beauty of multiple cultures coming together. But there are other places in the world that are doing this as well, and we learned from those places over the seven-year journey that it it took to, to build DreamHouse. Right. Alex, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it took to actually get this charter stood up um, and what it's like to actually be here at this school and what happens every day. We'll be back in just a second. Hey, gang, we're back. Alex, talk to me about the process of the application. I, I know the story because I was um, a participant and a, and a cheerleader along the way, but this was a difficult, difficult process, and it, and it was a lot of resilience and determination um, built into getting the school actually open. So how did that go? The process is humbling. The, the application is long, and there are so many different components, and so often you find yourself in this chicken or the egg phase of, well, I can't do that without the school, and I can't get the school without that. And yeah. we found ourselves just trying to navigate how to put together a plan to have an operating running school. And a lot of people said, well, you can't build the plane while flying it. And you know, however many analogies and metaphors you want right. to use, that's always been a crazy one for me. They all, <laughs> they all, they all fit in this situation. There are a couple moments that I look back to that were were just wild, and and one was getting the actual intent to imply documents in fall 2016 or fall 2015, rather, and then in. February 2016, the application was due, and we had turned in the application, and it was due on, I believe, a Thursday, and I was away at grad school, so it was six hours difference, and I remember getting a call from the commission, they said, we got your application, but we can't accept it, and this is in 2016, after over three and a half years of working on starting the school. Right. I said, well, why not? I said, well, it's not formatted in the right way. It has to be formatted specifically in this Word document, and while you took the heading of the Word document and created your own, it's 
way too many pages. It doesn't flow correctly. And I pulled two all-nighters in order to, and this is through Google Doc working and phone conferencing and Zooming with my team in Hawaii, stayed up for the entire weekend in order to get just the document to the 100 pages it needed to be in the exact format, PDF'd and uploaded the way it needed to be. Um, and that application actually failed, and we were yeah. rejected that first time. Right. And a part of me was a little bit salty because I said, well, had you let us <laughs> turn in the original application, all of your feedback and what we're missing is in, in the, the original, original application. Yeah. And what I realized, and this is you know going back three, three and a half years ago, but what I realized that this process of applying for a charter in Hawaii, you're not just asking for a charter from the state. You are asking for the privilege and the responsibility to, on a daily basis, mm -hmm. shape and grow the minds and hearts of Hawaii's children. It's, yeah. And that, that alone means that anytime something is quote-unquote wrong or not good enough, Right. The answer shouldn't be the salty, well, if you had, or, yeah. well, this is why. It always should be, well, how can we get better? And mm -hmm. what do we need to do to get to that place where we are entrusted with 100 kids every day? What was the central criticism in the first rejection that you had to tackle head on if you were going to keep going? They wanted to see our curriculum built out. Okay. And we gave them broad strokes and ideas, but we did not give them what the core elements of our academic program and our curriculum were going to be. Right. And we spent a year fleshing out and doing that as an application team using the, the North Star of leadership and identity development, using the core competencies that we had built out around voice and empowerment and consciousness and servant leadership and affirmation of identity, using the different broad strokes of content area and then interdisciplinary studies using leadership development modules. I mean, we took all of that. Wow. We had that down. It wasn't like we were yeah. sitting down from square one and saying, what are we going to do? We right. were saying, well, we have the broad strokes, and now it's time to actually drill a little bit deeper and show the Charter Commission what it would look like to be in leadership class on a Tuesday morning. So it sounds like the ultimate beneficiaries were the kids or are the kids who are currently in your school that the commission said, you need to go through this and flesh it out, put the beans, the rice, the jerky, um, the water cans, you gotta get all of that arranged. And by forcing you to do that, um, your kids benefit from it now because you have a, a clear plan. Now I can say that. Right. In 2016, it hard to, on the steps of the BOE building, 10 right. minutes after a rejection of the charter plan that we'd worked three and a half years for, it was a little harder of a pill to swallow. Right. But looking back, the journey to get to now, October 9th, 2019, 2019 was failing in right. that charter in that moment, was having to rewrite and redo components of the application, was having to build out our founding team, was having to strengthen our nonprofit, was having to fundraise. All of those elements that, that called into question our ability to launch and run a successful school, right. it was almost like, prove it. And we had the opportunity to say, well, no, we're not going to prove it because we shouldn't have to. And then we would have taken our ball and went home like so many other charter groups and applications have done over the years when they run into the buzzsaw that is the application process. Right. But instead, and I, and I credit many of the members of our group for the, the hunger and the humility that they carry simultaneously, 
they said, you know what, let's pause, let's take a deep breath, and then let's get back into this because we know the work that we're capable of. We know what exists in the thousands of pages of Google Docs and the folders and the workshops and the all of the artifacts that are driving this vision to create this school, that still exists. So let's not throw all of that away just because it's not good enough yet. And I remember one of our founding team members said on the Board of Education steps, they said, we have arrived. And that's what that's okay. The phone's ringing. The phone's it's an ringing. on the road episode. And that's probably <laughs> that's the charter the commission we're, wondering when. They're no. calling you. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You know, that's 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 what that's the beauty of it is that they said finally the charter commission sees that Dreamhouse is here right. and we're not ready yet. And it's not if this charter will get passed and if this school will launch. It's when. Yeah. And it just wasn't that year and it just wasn't time and that is is and continues to be the best lesson that myself as the founder, co-founder, and a founding school leader, and our young school could have was to have to take another year right. to redevelop our charter. I'm so struck in this moment by the idea that, I mean, for a long time, Alex, I've been thinking about, you know, the way that we've assessed student learning is, is test and paper, test and paper, test and paper, grade, and so on, or variations of that theme. And that what really happened to you guys in that moment is very much what happens to a student when he or she is asked to do a public defense of learning. And many times you don't defend it successfully. You guys didn't defend successfully, but you didn't take your ball and go home. You came back at it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what was the time period between the first application and when you submitted it again? How, many, how much time did you guys have to, to submit the second application, the revised application? It was four or five months, okay. and then there's a multi-month process of having to go back and forth and them reviewing it, and then you have to defend it, and then they vote on it in committee, and then they vote on it finally. And actually, our second application that we submitted during the applications committee, per the recommendation of the applicant group right. uh, that had assessed us, they said, these guys still aren't ready, so they need to be failed again. And I said, no, 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 we did everything that was asked for. Like, we spent painstaking hundreds and hundreds of hours redoing this charter so that it fit to what the criteria was. And that is eventually where the Charter Commission landed. They said, we have questions around your ability to fundraise right. and your ability to find a facility, which is not specific to you. It's specific to any charter in the landscape of Hawaii. Right. So we ended up going out and raising like 130 grand in a month to say, well, here's our start to fundraising, and I'm sure we can raise more, but at least check fundraising off the you can't list and now for facilities here are the 30 different options that we've been looking at here are the 10 that we think are really viable and if we had to bet on it here are the three that we will be in next year which uh, is which is really remarkable because you still didn't have a physical school to present to people who might give you money no it's still the chicken and the egg thing very much the chicken and the egg and right. same thing with fundraising we would write to to foundations we'd say well can we at least have a grant that's committed to us and they said as fiduciaries why would we give money to a group that doesn't have a charter yet right and the charter commission saying well you don't have any money and you don't have any letters from foundations and we're here in the middle trying to explain to foundations and trying to explain to the charter commission but again that dance navigating that that tricky complex series of circumstances is the work of a charter school it is mm -hmm. the work of 
a charter school leader. So again, going through it, I felt like I was in the dark. I was in the forest. This isn't fair. And you know, there's all of these chicken or the egg conundrums. And why isn't there any help? And now I'm looking back and saying, gosh, had I not gone through that process, I might walk into school every day and say, this is unfair. <laughs> why didn't anyone tell me? And you know, and it's almost like it's a training grounds for yeah. folks who want to start school and talk about presentation of learning it's like where do you go and how do you get ready to start a school without going to school for you know a school leadership program which I did but at the same time I learned just as much having to go through the ringer with applying for the charter and starting the school and being humbled by that process as I did in any degree program right and it seems to me like the people who were willing to step up and offer their funds small medium and large in some ways, we're funding your resilience, your determination, your tenacity, your deep reflection on the very thing that you wanted to create. That's what they were really looking to fund. And then you open the school, and now they've actually got something that right. is Right, they can sponsor the our kids or they pay can, to keep the lights on. That yeah. really was it, and it was fascinating to see people invest in us. I mean, why and I, auntie and uncle gave us a check for $50,000 in December 2016. Yeah. This is before the, char- the second-year charter application was even submitted. They said, we believe in you, we believe in your team, we believe in the vision. This will happen, and this will help. Wow. And that, that type of investment into the vision and that type of belief in our ability is like, gosh, how can we now pay that forward and tell our kids the same thing? Right. And we have those conversations with our 11-year-olds every day. We say, you know you're not going to thank us now. We know you're not there yet. But we believe in you, and that's why our expectations are high. Right. That's why our days are long. That's why we have resourced you with iPads and fast Wi-Fi and free lunch and collared shirts and the whole nine to say we want to put you in an environment to be successful, but we believe in you at the front end of your journey through middle school and high school, and we can't wait to see right. where you definitely will be after six years. So you, years. you've made it through the charter. You've made it through a long process that we can't go into today of finding a facility. <laughs> right. That's you've, a whole other podcast. That's a whole Maybe podcast. a series. Maybe a series, right. And then you've got the whole process of getting yourself funded and you get people committed. And now the doors have opened. We've skipped forward. And for our audio listeners, wherever they are in the U.S. or around the world, we're sitting in the space right now. So for audio listeners, can you describe what it's like to be here. Now we have a siren going off outside. <laughs> yeah, I love these on the road right, episodes. Right. So for, for them, describe the space and what happens here during the day early on in your first semester as a school. Sure, sure. So f- before I do, I want our listeners to close their eyes and imagine... Well, some of them are driving, so let's not do that, but that's okay. For those of you who are idea. driving, exactly. <laughs> right. um, picture, picture this. Uh, picture this. There you go. Okay. You're, you're in an office space. There's no rug. There's no paint on the walls. There's no furniture. There's just concrete on the floor. There's dust. There are a couple old pieces of plastic where maybe some tools were wrapped up. The lights aren't on. The AC isn't on. The windows are dirty because they have been cleaned. This is what we walked into in this founding school space. Right. And, you know, we, we, we saw this place as the founding space for our school. And it, it had never been anything before. It had been built and for six and a half years had just laid vacant because no one had ever moved into the space. So when we asked the landlord, could we use this space? They said, sure, you can, um, but what are you going to make of it? 
you know, it's nothing right now. You have to do all this work, and it's too small to be there for multiple years. Can we just have this space? And they said, yeah. So, like you said, the, the other series, how to find a charter school facility, yeah. eight, you know, eight podcast series can, yeah. can go into the details there. Yeah. But what we ended up doing was putting brand new thick carpet, industrial-grade carpet down, painting the walls, putting idea paint on the walls, putting a gig of Wi-Fi in either classroom, getting our kids iPads, one-to-one iPads, the very first school in the complex to do one-to-one iPads for 100% of our kids. Right. Getting flat screen TVs that our kids could either go through Apple TV or Chromecast up to, getting some donations from some of the local charter and p- private schools for some tables and chairs, and then the HPU, Hawaii Pacific University Library, was closing down, so we got a phone call that said, we're getting rid of everything in two days. If you want something, grab a U-Haul. So we had wow. the team Sounds. ad hoc meet at HPU at 6 p.m. <laughs> on Tuesday night. We got to go in and <laughs> ransack whatever we can find. And, yeah. and we ended up cobbling together this founding school space that, I tell you, you know, we were at Lowe's buying plants as classroom dividers. And we're on Amazon Prime looking for cords. And we're at Costco buying chairs. But the place that we have created is our home. Mm-hmm. And it's the first ever Dreamhouse founding site. And I tell my kids and I tell my, my school team all the time, never, ever forget this moment. We'll never again have the opportunity to start this school. Wow. And it's so special. Even when the lights go off because we're using too much power for the microwaves to heat up the kids' food. Even when the Wi-Fi goes out because one of the kids trips over the Eero router that I plugged in after buying it at Best Buy. I mean, this yeah. is like how to, how to set up a, a startup charter school site 101 with people that aren't professional charter school setter-uppers. Yeah. But just, again, have a vision. What do we need to do to put our kids in a position where they're developing into homegrown 21st century leaders who have a firm grip on who they are, feel affirmed in their identity, and are connected to the community and world around them? I think we've done that. Yeah. I think we've done the best that we can. I, and there is so much room to grow. I mean, you you would walk in here and you would say, gosh, this place is a mess. But it's our mess. Yeah. And, and it's just a start. And I always tell our kids, if you love it, don't because we're going to be gone in eight months and if you hate it it's okay because we're going to be gone in eight months and there are so many other charter schools around the state of hawaii that are doing so much more with so much less so we're blessed to be in an air-conditioned resourced set of classrooms that can serve as the backdrop for the founding of the school so we're coming towards the end of this wow this time's gone by really fast hasn't it (laughs) um so i want to do two things um over the course of these podcasts, I have been slipping into a little role play where I become little James, um, James the student. In this case, I'm going to be a sixth grader because your students are all sixth graders right now, yes. right? And so James is here, and it's sort of day one, and I'm meeting you, Mr. Tees. Um, walk me through, albeit a little bit briefly, what my day is going to be like. What is my learning going to be like over this day at school? Sure. So you'll get dropped off downstairs. We'll huddle right before 8 a.m. And then off you'll go to advisory, which is one of our P4C components, philosophy for children. Philosophy for children. And in advisory via a a ball that each child can hold and share a personal component of their day. You'll see what's on for lunch that day. You'll see a couple of the keywords of the day. You might see someone's birthday who is this week pop up on the large screen TV and then off you'll go to your first class. We have four block periods of the day that are content facing classes and then 
the next day you'll start with the final block that you didn't get the day before because we have five total content periods. Uh, but you'll go to content class, you'll, you'll jump into social studies or English language arts and you'll head into your small group. Out, someone will get the iPads and there'll be an essential question for the day. There'll be a learning plan for the day. And in small groups facilitated by the instructional leader will be some type of learning that focuses on that content but also focuses on 21st century skills development. Okay. You wrap up there, you'll head to your next class. You'll wrap up there, you'll go out for half an hour at lunch, which is provided by us, and it's fresh, good, clean food from a company called Good Clean Food out of Kailua. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and, yeah. and each day, all of our kids have access to that. And about half eat it, maybe two-thirds some days. The rest will bring their own. Um, and then you'll head back into content class, one more content class, and at about 1.40, you'll head into what we call tutorial. And tutorial is student-driven time. And this is a concept that we borrowed from a school in Aotearoa that has two hours a day that is completely devoted to students deciding where they go, how wow. they use their time, as aligned to their own individual learning goals. I'm, I'm excited, Mr. Tease. Right. And, and me, little James, I'm and, super excited because I, I got a bunch of things I'm interested in. Right. And, and you can do those. And you can do those for only 33 minutes a day because we'd love the two hours, but we could only build in 33, uh, 33 minutes a day, which actually rolls up to about 160 minutes a week. So you, you have a good chunk of time to spend in a self-directed way. And then right after tutorial is lead. And lead is our real core leadership and empowerment block and there are a series of modules that focus on empathy that focus on addressing cyberbullying that focus on teaming in the 21st century that focus on small prototyping for wow. business ideas and you will go through a series of leadership development modules over the course of a week or a month mm -hmm. that focuses on different themes that are core to here at Dreamhouse and by the time you know it it's 3 p.m. and we're saying as Zen and we will see you tomorrow wow wow uh, these are real issues that, that students are working on and that's the end of the day which means that they're carrying that home I'm carrying I'm James I'm carrying that home with me and I may be talking about it with my parents when that's I get the home note or you my family yeah. that's the note you leave on it's not here's the homework I did in math or ELA or social studies which is important which is it which is important for our kids to have that content knowledge mm -hmm. but even more so they're walking away and on that foundation of content knowledge they're walking away applying those concepts, those mathematical concepts, those literacy concepts, those science, science concepts music, to real-world issues and then walking into the real world having that true blend right. of, of content experience. I'm also interested, Mr. Teese, in something you said a couple minutes ago about essential questions. So my yes. family at night, uh, my dad and my mom insist that we all sit down and, and eat together, my brothers and my, my sister and... Uh, my dad and mom, and we talk a lot, and we ask a lot of questions. So I'm, I'm really intrigued. Like, what's an example of an essential question we might work on? What is your gift, and how do you apply it to the people in the world around you? Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, Here in this moment, James is kind of stunned. And, and that's not a just, I can I, run fast, so I'm gift? good on the soccer team. That's maybe a multi-day yeah. experience around discovering your gifts, where you got them, why they're your gifts, thinking yeah. about how you can use them internally here at DreamHouse to better your own trajectory as a student, but also the people in the world around you. Think about how you can affect Eva Beach, Kapolei, and the Leeward Coast. Think about you can affect the islands. And then presenting on Friday to everyone around you what your gift is, why you're using it to positively affect those around you, and how you want to continue developing that wow. gift. Wow. 
I'm looking forward to school tomorrow. Good. I'm super excited. Good. I always love when kids come in over fall break. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. So, Alex, uh, coming down to the end here, I'm, I want to actually go back and reference something that we talked about earlier. At the time that you were working through the initial charter, the first writing of the charter, were you aware, sorry, this is a closed question, so a little bit of fishing, but were you aware that there was a shift underway in our public schools towards empowerment and moving the school design, teacher collaboration, student voice process out to the schools? In other words, what you were imagining was going to be fitting into a context that was rapidly changing away from No Child Left Behind, away from Race to the Top, away from a heavily scripted curriculum from the top. Was that, were you aware that you were about to fit into that? A process? lot of the concepts and conversation and conferences were around the term decentralization. Right. So generally aware, I didn't know what that was going to look like, feel, or mean, or if it would even happen. And I didn't know if that was an organizational term or a budgeting term. Decentralization, it can feel somewhat removed. So that's right. the extent of what I understood. And since then, that's all started to reveal itself over the last three years. And we have a, a, a relatively new superintendent who's been on the job for a couple of years now. Um, and that empowerment process is moving out across the state. I think so. Every island. I think yeah. so. And it seems to me like the original spirit of the charter law in 1994, which was the charters would serve as um, innovation hubs that public schools could tap into for ideas, um, that that's that Dreamhouse fits into that idea, that it fits with the spirit of the original law. We hope so. That's what we aspire. And that you're not a threat to the public schools. I mean, one of the things that I picked up on in the original charter was that one of the the largest public high school in the state is close by. That's James yes. Campbell High yes. School, which has, I think, over 3,000 students. Over 3,000 kids, a graduating right. class that are over 1,000. I don't think we're a threat. I'm sure that anyone could spin some type of story about how we take kids or take money or we're a competition. But at the end of the day, kids wake up and their parents at a younger age decide where to go to school right and for us we always have just wanted to be another option and here in Eva Beach specifically yeah. if you grow up on one side of Fort Weaver you go to Elima if you grow up on the other side of Fort Weaver you go to Eva Mackay so from K to 6 you go to your neighborhood elementary school from 7 and 8 you go to the school that's on your side of Fort Weaver Road and from 9 to 12 you go to the largest high school in the state. Right. So up until our charter opened its doors 10 weeks ago, you had zero choice for where you went to school for public district schools K through 12 in Eva Beach. Right. And we just want to be another option for families. So again, it helps that I taught at Elima. A lot of my friends still teach at the local elementary and, and middle schools. People from our staff came over from Campbell High School. So it really is a small community. You see the same people at Zippy's and Starbucks and at the stoplights. So we are all in this together one way or another. And in Hawaii, we, you and I together with lots of other people have been working on a conversation that is inclusive to public, private, and charter. Um, and Dreamhouse, you um, have been part of those conversations and that um, maybe unlike in other locales where they, they take out their weapons and start shooting at one another, um, that here in Hawaii we're actually having a conversation that's focused on the kids right. and that we're all educating those kids. Right. So to that end, I want to finish with um, a conversation about um, something that's happening in our Department of Education, and our charters fit within the Department of Education, um, called the 2030 Promise Plan. So we've gone through a series of strategic plans and ESSA plans, 
Um, and now we are working on something that we're calling the promise plan. And we're making promises to our kids. And I'm really struck by this process because not in my whole lifetime of paying attention to education in Hawaii have I, have I ever heard the language of we promise our kids blank. It's always been about our kids are going to achieve blank. And then either they do or they don't or some degree of difference. We treat them as deficits to be corrected and so on, right? So here we're promising. And the promises that have come out of the public engagement process focus on around understanding Hawaii, around equity in education, around school design, around empowerment, around innovation. And that, that what we're doing is we're promising our kids school environments where innovation is central, where empowerment is the ethos, where school design is a whole community project, not something that's handed down from above. That equity means every kid has access to the super engaging parts of education, which it really all should be, but that every kid has an opportunity to be part of that and that Hawaii is really the base for it. So here at Dreamhouse Academy in Eva Beach, what is it that you're promising your kids um, in the context of the larger Department of Education 2030 Promise Plan? Like what, what, what you and your staff, this amazing group of people that you've assembled as your inaugural staff, like what are you guys actually promising the kids? What are you promising the parents? I would say we promise our kids and our families and our community that we will do everything in our power and everything possible to empower the future leaders of our islands. And that means coming to this space every day with the mindset and the belief that all of our children are capable of success and being the very best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. And we promise that we will do everything that we can to walk alongside of them on their journey to being the best versions of themselves. So they're not just going to be sixth graders who come and go or seventh graders who come and go. You're, you're in it with them for the long haul, for well, the long game. In our March 2019 public lottery, where we drew our initial class of 100 children because we were oversubscribed and we had more applications than we had seats for our first year, we handed out Dreamhouse class of 2026 t-shirts. Wow. So <laughs> it didn't say welcome sixth grader or welcome to the 2019-20 school year. It said you are the class of 2026. Wow, that promise, that's a promise that you're going to be there. And, in 2026. And there was no caveat if we can find the resources or if we can hire the teachers or if the strategic plan strive high. It was just, you are the class of 2026. You go to Dreamhouse. We will do this together. So I would say our promise is to have every single one of our children graduate ready for a productive, fulfilling next step of their career and their collegiate or, or life however however it is that they move forward. And over the, the weeks and months and years to come, you're going to be building out the school. Um, you're already working on a new location for next year where you can expand your charter. We've entered into a lease already for next oh, year, already, and it's yeah. a five-year lease, so it grows us into our middle school. What I'm working on right now is bringing together the people and minds and resources into a working group that's focusing on our phase three build out, right. which is our high school. So we're, we are 
locked into a lease for just this year for our sixth grade. We have a lease and a space to move into next year for our seventh and eighth grade as long as well as our new sixth grade. And then the, the big, big project which is on the horizon is how do we either buy or lease land and build a, a, a 21st century environment for learning yeah. and leadership development empowerment for children who are growing up on the west side of Oahu. Yeah. And that's my essential question that I go to bed with every night right. because I don't have the answer to it right. yet. But per the question, our promise is that we will find the answer and we will walk alongside of our kids and our families to graduate every single one of them by June 2026. And that promise is printed on that T-shirt. <laughs> there it is. Wow, as, as soon as it's on a T-shirt, it's real. That's It's real, absolutely. Yeah. Alex Teese, founder of DreamHouse Academy, thank you for this time today. It's been a real privilege talking to you. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me.